Welcome to Liquid Courage, the podcast where I, Amanda Pereira, sit down with a fellow artist that I admire and ask them the questions I've never had the guts to ask them before. Sounds scary? Yeah, it really is. So I use a little liquid courage in the form of my guest's favorite drink. We cheers, chat, and connect as I attempt to soak up all the wisdom they have to offer. Today I sit down with Sam Coyle and we throw back some Negronis. Sam is an award-winning writer and director, best known for directing the first and second season of the award-winning series Avocado Toast, an intergenerational sex comedy exploring the comforts and awkwardness of sex. Season one of the series was awarded the Silver Telly Award, was nominated for four Canadian Screen Awards, and Sam herself won Best Director for the series at both the Merced Queer Film Festival and the Portland Comedy Film Festival. Sam also directed the evocative queer reality dating show, Dating Unlocked, which was awarded the Silver Telly Award for Best Series, and Sam won Best Director at the New Zealand Web Fest. Season one and newly released season two of Avocado Toast, as well as season one of Dating Unlocked can be streamed on OutTV and Amazon Prime. Sam's directorial debut feature film, Hazy Little Thing, premiered at the Canadian Film Festival and was sold to Super Channel and she is now in development on her next feature film. After completing the Add a Girl Film Lab, where she was the recipient of the 25,000 Production Fund Grant. Sam is currently in development with CBC Gem and Play Media to develop her half hour show, Get Me Outta Here. And she recently directed her first ever movie of the week, or an MOW, as you'll hear her refer to it in this episode. So Sam is a writer, a director, and someone I admire immensely. Hi, Sam. Hi. <laughs> Officially. Um, so you chose a mezcal. Am I saying that right? Mezcal? Mezcal, yeah. Okay. I panicked. Uh, a mezcal Negroni. And then you were so kind to say, listen, if you have to do a regular Negroni, like you can. And I have to start our relationship because we don't know each other at all. I have to start our relationship off with honesty. And I am drinking a regular Negroni. <laughs> I knew it. I was really judging myself all day. I was like, I got to find a mezcal Negroni. And then I had this like, it's like a, I feel like this is a sin. I'm not even religious. I feel like. Is it I, a bottle? Like a pre- yeah. Same yeah, bad. that's is totally. That okay. No, no, no. I don't okay. think that's bad at all. <laughs> okay. It seems good. I don't know. <laughs> Mezcal's like such a required taste. So mm. I, I figure, you know, it's not for everybody. That's for sure. So, what does it I taste think. like? I don't think I've ever had mezcal. Yeah, so it just switches out. I, mezcal is like a, a form of tequila, but it's it's called mezcal. It's just a, a way of making it that's slightly different, um, but it's like a, a smokiness. So it has like that kind of peatiness like a scotch tends oh. to. So I like it in a Negroni just because it's like kind of a open, like smoky flavor opposed to like a gin which is more you know botanical or herbal or something like that yes oh botanical and herbal that's such a better way of saying it I always I always saw like oh it, it tastes and smells like a Christmas tree which I love I love gin I didn't realize that was mezcal because I love scotch and I love tequila what was I doing oh. I just was like searching online for the ingredients and then this bottle popped up and it was like sold out in so many places and I thought oh maybe this is a fun way to make sure I have the like ratios right but and then I didn't have an orange so I cut up a mandarin oh so I don't know if it's going to taste the same but that's very festive of you it's great 
Thank you. It does sound <laughs> festive. It does. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, cheers you and take a little sip to start off cheers. our episode together. Cheers. This is great. <laughs> oh, I love Negronis, especially in the fall. Mm -hmm. Sam, I'm so excited. I'm also I'm so nervous, but in a way that like I don't need taking care of, and I'm still I can still host. <laughs> I can still like pilot this ship, but I am so excited. Actually, I. So the only time that I've ever met you in person was at the Avocado Toast season two premiere. And I yeah. was standing near the bar with my friend who came with me, Susan. And I said, I was like, oh, my God, that's the director. And I'm <laughs> such a fan of hers. And like, oh, my God. And Su and of course, Susan, wonderful wing woman, just I was like, I can't talk to Sam. I'm not going to go introduce myself. I'm just going to like admire from afar forever. And Susan forced me to talk to you. And thank goodness, because who knows if I ever would have gotten up the guts to ask you to be on the podcast. So I'm so glad that I, I ran know. into you there. <laughs> it, I was so happy to have met you. And I was grateful that she uh, reached out. She was just like, Sam. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very much. <laughs> Sam. And I was just like, oh my God, instant sweaty hands. Like, don't, don't, what are you doing? But oh I'm so goodness. glad. I'm, That's I've been so such sweet. a, like, such a fan of your work for so long and kind of just like knowing you like six degrees of separation kind of like mm -hmm. through other people and I just I find your projects so dreamy and like captivating and like seductive in this way that I feel like you have this way of showing characters where audiences are pulled in and like you care about these characters even if you don't like them as an audience member when you're watching mm. your work and I I'm, I wonder, like, what are your favorite sorts of stories to create, whether you're writing or directing or both? Yeah, I mean, I definitely gravitate towards women. I just find mm -hmm. women very fascinating. Um, also, thank you for those compliments. I love hearing oh, my work interpreted through other people. And like, that's, you know, I hate talking about my own work sometimes just because it's so it's so hard to articulate and it's mm. like I'm I'm drawn like I, I I base a lot of things off of intuition and what I'm kind of pulled towards and so I don't always know what it is you know like I, mm. I'm not always like it's this one thing but yeah I mean obviously women's stories are very important to me like queer stories I like things that are like slightly different you know obviously things that we haven't always seen or it's like it's the same story but with a twist you know where mm. there's an element that's slightly different and I think I and I'm drawn to uh like dreamscapes so that idea mm. of using the medium that we have as as filmmakers and kind of like yeah bringing a sense of whimsy to it like pulling people into a world opposed to I I'm not always a, like a realist, you know, where people mm. are just like almost documentary style. Like I really like creating a tone, a, a vibe, a different world removed where I think you can kind of allow yourself and mind to wander in the mm. character's stories. Mm. But yeah, I like I like messed up things. I like weird <laughs> things. I like dark and twisted and I tend to pull those out even when it's like really happy I'm like yeah but what's weird about this let's go weird <laughs> yeah 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 even just yeah. a small thing you're like oh yeah yeah it's all beautiful and then she has a hangnail like maybe you could do like something yeah. why do why do you think like do you find that you always had that kind of inclination or fascination yeah I don't like cookie cutter things like mm -hmm. I, I tend to gravitate towards like 
the underbelly, you know, mm-hmm. and of, of narratives and, and people. Like I really like people with a story and not, you know, everything laid out to them or handed to them. And mm-hmm. I like, I mean, I think, you know, a lot of people do, but artists like struggle. And mm-hmm. I just am, I just love hearing people's stories because I think it's a big part of what makes us human, you know, and like we've all gone through different types of struggles. So yeah shying away from that I don't I I tend to lean in and dive into that those worlds a lot more but why I don't know (laughs) (laughs) I I think I tend to like want to know people's stories or like I always want to ask more and more or kind of yeah but what's behind the curtain like kind of in a similar way that you're talking about the curiosity behind maybe the curated image, like what, what's the story behind or how did we get here? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, for me, I just, I think like I crave so much transparency because otherwise I'm just going to guess all the things or, or that people maybe like assumed things on me. And then I thought, okay, well, no, no, just ask me and I'll tell you what it is. Um, but I think it's, I think it's really lovely to show the struggle and the story behind. It gives so much context and it allows for nuance where like, Mm -hmm. it's not really fun if it's just black and white. It's also just not human for something to be so black and white and cookie cutter. It's it's actually not, it's more realistic for you to show the the nuance and and all of those things. Do do you feel that same way when you're approaching something? Because you are also an actor. Uh, performer do you feel that same way when you're approaching things as an actor like that you want those parts that show struggle or do you feel more comfortable coming at that as like a writer director um yeah no I well so uh, I haven't acted in like six years mm-hmm. like I I stepped away to quit with an agent I mm-hmm. fully um focused on directing I have yeah I just I I fell out of love with the kind of business side of acting Mm -hmm. and I really fell in love with writing and directing and that idea of like kind of the control over the world that you get to create and Mm. having a vision and seeing something I could see big picture right and I felt acting just became very minuscule and like very singular Mm -hmm. um, storyline driven uh, where I really like thinking about how all of these pieces come together and you know I love cinematography I love art direction music like using all those tools in harmony to create a piece is just way more interesting to me Mm -hmm. so I haven't acted but I (laughs) used to gravitate towards those projects all of the time I was like I'm I don't know I have like an obsession with like sex work I I've always been drawn to it mm-hmm. um I think there's an element of uh like bravery and and a woman to like use her sex for money and so I was always like I'm gonna play the prostitute or the stripper like all these things and I just liked learning like as an actor you know you you learn about those worlds and you mm-hmm. would research and and I think that was definitely probably a start into kind of the 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 projects that I started writing was just that fascination with, yeah, how those women got there, what their lives are like because of it, mm-hmm. something that we all do, like sex is something that most of us um, have in, in our life in some form. And it's the oldest profession and just how these women chose to like operate kind of mm-hmm. in that in that field and stuff I find very 
interesting and unique. Mm-hmm. I equally find very interesting. Have you ever listened to, are you a podcast? I feel like I was about to say, are you a podcast listener? And then I thought, is that a really (laughs) shitty thing to ask you while we're recording a podcast? Like, am I setting you up for like having to say a certain answer? No, what are podcasts? Yeah, Are we on one? I thought there's a podcast called the Bedpost Podcast. And Mm. it's like, it's so, it's by um, Erin Pym or uh, she's dominatrix Lady Pym. And she interviews sexy people who maybe work maybe are sex workers or maybe in the periphery or things and I I can't get enough it's just so Mm. yeah I also find it so fascinating and I think like you said sort of that we're all in you said it so much more eloquently than I'm going to be able to so I'm just gonna barf it out but that (laughs) we're all sort of stuck in that commodity anyway Mm. like it's not a new thing I don't really feel like yeah, sometimes I'm like, well, I'm getting hired because some random dude thinks that I'm hot. So they're putting me on screen or I'm like, whether I'm choosing, whether I'm consenting to this exchange or not, very often it feels like that is my commodity or like that's my currency anyway, from before I was even old enough to recognize that that was going on. So I think that in so many cases, there's such um an empowerment that can be behind it but also like that it's not some jaw-dropping oh my god new thing that they're deciding to engage mm-hmm. in they're just pivoting how they are engaging in it and choosing to engage in it in the way that benefits them in a fair and equitable way yeah yeah totally yeah so anyways yeah it's it's equally fascinating i agree <laughs> i love love learning all the things well what do you think like approaching Approaching directing as from having acting experience, I feel like makes mm-hmm. you such a unicorn of a director, like just a, as an actor myself, like just like, oh my God, yes, please. What, how do you think being an actor influenced like how you direct versus if you were to come into it with no acting experience, just straight being director? Yeah, I think it definitely gave me, you know, a skill set as a director, especially when I was starting, just like mm-hmm. knowing the language of an actor and being able to connect kind of it also it helped I probably helped me in my career where I knew so many actors and I was like Mm. I'm learning to direct how do I do this and I was an actor member and I was able to just like work with all of my friends who are superstars you know and super talented so I had access to amazing actors which really helped um but yeah just speaking the language like this sense of play that I can bring with actors and like bringing like I was just did this uh an MOW actually and Mm. I emailed all of the actors before and I was like uh hey just you know these things move fast and furious just want to touch in like excited to work with you if you have any questions let me know and I all the response I got was no director has ever done this to me Um, you know, I've never heard from a director. I've only just like shown up on set and somebody was like, I was so nervous, but your email put me at ease. Like it made, you know, and then people responded with tons of questions and I was able to like explore character with them. And, you know, they're like, you're probably so busy in prep, which we are, but it's like, that is part of prep is like Mm. building a character with the actor. And so I guess it's like, I just kind of understand that I would have liked that or appreciated that so I kind of operate and 
move from there, mm. which I guess I take for granted because I, I don't know. I didn't know how unique that was, but to hear that feedback was, was pretty cool. I was like, Oh, interesting. That must be like my angle, you know, mm-hmm. but then, you know, I had to learn so much about the, the kind of technical side of things. And um, I'm constantly always learning like gear and whatever, but I definitely know the language a lot better and know how to talk how to execute my vision visually because that's a massive component of it um you know I think like Duplass brothers are very much like less focused on the visual aspect and more focused on say the you know the acting side of things Mm. but the visual side is so important to me like aesthetic and yeah relating kind of the tone of the film through and then in cohesion with acting so Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um but yeah, I also had to learn how to talk to actors because as an actor yourself, giving notes, like I was actually, you know, it's it's a different thing to get performances out of people opposed to just like do a performance. Mm. So learning a different language of, of how to evoke something out of somebody um, opposed to knowing what it is that I want because, you know, it's so easy to do a line read or like, oh, it's just a little bit more like yeah. this, you know, but it's yeah. like helping them get there is actually mm-hmm. a different skill set um, mm-hmm. that I had to learn for sure. Wow. Well, I think that I think the technical side, definitely learning how to work with people, how to manage people, like as a director, all of those things, of course, are like such huge skills to learn. And then I feel like the technical side or the technical knowledge that is required of being a director is such like a barrier of access for a lot of people that like it's very intimidating that they might feel like oh I have a point of view to bring or I have a vision to bring to this project artistically or aesthetically but I don't know about all the technical side and so for me at least sometimes I think okay well I need to learn I come from very much the the space of like fear-based a bit of I need to learn everything before I Mm. deserve to have the opportunity Versus, okay, well, I know half the things, let's jump in and let's see what happens and trust myself. Um, So for you, like what helped you either pick up that technical side or just like trust yourself and be like, okay, I'll figure it out. Kind of what helped you step into those director shoes, even with maybe feeling like you didn't have that technical experience? Yeah, I've kind of, I'm a a bit of a doer, like, and, and like I think back to when I was starting filmmaking and you know I didn't go to film school or anything I literally just started making stuff I used to work mm-hmm. in bars and all my I would work in high-end restaurants and all the women had like Louis Vuitton purses and shoes and I was like making movies on the weekends you know <laughs> yeah, so yeah. I, that's where all my money went but <laughs> I, I think it's honestly just trusting like uh, filmmaking is such a collaborative collaborative um experience and Mm -hmm. you know getting a dp and just being like this is what i'm thinking this is what i'm feeling and then they start like it's not all up to you Mm -hmm. and as a director you have to have your vision and you have to have a lot of the answers to say Mm -hmm. yay or nay and does it fit within your world that you're creating but like i don't know much about sound recording and i don't know you know and you know you just have to kind of build collaborators that you trust um Mm. and you know I've worked with people who didn't understand my vision and didn't have you know execute it properly or whatever and then you but you find your people and you find those people who get it and are helping enhance it and like a cinematographer is my one of my biggest collaborations that Mm. I hold so dearly because because no I couldn't just 
pick up a camera and, and shoot and get the quality of image that I'm going after. And it's really relying on somebody to like translate what's in your brain, you know, Mm, um, onto screen. So I just say, just go for it. You'll never know everything. I'm still constantly learning. Like I have so much to learn, Mm -hmm. but I've just gotten here by just doing the thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then you learn. Yeah. I think a cousin had said that to me. I have a few cousins in the arts and they were just like, just keep doing it and learn from your mistakes and move on and don't mm-hmm. like wallow in it. And don't, I'm not a, I'm not, I will say I'm not a perfectionist. I work really hard at things, mm. but I don't, um, I don't, you know, I know somebody who's taking like three years to make a short film. I'm like, Oh my God, I'd make three short films in three years. You know, like I'm that <laughs> I'm kind of three person. Years. I'm the three years person <laughs> yeah. for sure. So I love this. I'm like letting this just, rub off on me as much as I possibly can. Cause I, I do think it's exactly what you're saying. It's like, okay, well, while I'm, while I'm wondering if I could do it, 10 other people are going out and trying to do it. So yeah. in the amount of time where I'm doubting myself, I probably could have done the thing 10 times. So I might as well exactly. just go and don't be so, you know, precious about it. Also with every project you make, each project becomes a little bit less precious because they're not, you know, you make one project that's a hundred percent of your stuff. If you make 10, mm-hmm they don't matter as much hopefully (laughs) anymore you know they can still you can still love them but they're not like you know this is my whole resume world of everything so you're right you can't avoid just just doing it well yeah so speaking of um avocado toast finding your people Mm -hmm. maybe too when you were approached to direct avocado toast originally like for season one what was it about the project? I know that you had worked with with Perry Voss, one of the creators previously. I think you had both done a, a play together, I think, like yeah. acted together. Mm-hmm. So I guess part of it was probably Perry's clout because Perry is incredibly charming <laughs> and wonderful and talented. But apart from that, like what was what was it about the project that made you like really want to dive into this ordeal of, of making something together? Yeah. I mean, you know, I was so early. It's so crazy, like that we've done a season two and, you know, we've been at that show and together for four years. So um, I've grown as an artist and stuff. So I was just at at, at kind of the beginning stages of my career because mm-hmm. we did the trailer to even get IPF. So that was originally mm-hmm. when they approached me. You know, I, I really liked, I resonated with the idea of the female friendship mm-hmm. um, and, you know, the name states is kind of this idea of like blanket statement of what millennials are of avocado toast. And (laughs) they just wanted to kind of pull back the curtain slightly. Originally, you know, season two kind of (laughs) derailed, not derailed, but like took a turn into a different kind of storylines and stuff. But, you know, originally it was also about like older generation kind of baby boomers and Mm. their sex capades and stuff so that also interested me like Mm. we're not really talking about um our parents sex life and um and it was a comedy and I just really liked that aspect of of that kind of worlds that they created Mm -hmm. but yeah I think it was the female friendship and you know the the falling out of a female friendship Mm. was was all of season one and I really loved where it took it in season two of the, of the breakup of a friendship, um, mm-hmm. which I think women experience and it feels, it is heartbreaking mm-hmm. and we don't really talk about it as much because it's not given much, you know, we're always focused on love and partnership and things mm-hmm. like that. Um, and 
our soulmates or whatever in stories but very rarely is it like I had a falling out they were a big part of my life friends friends are massive parts of your life you know and sometimes like I've fallen out with a bunch of friends over the years and just either some of them are just grow apart because that's you you change and you're in different circles and stuff but sometimes you have to admit that maybe you're not the right person for them right now mm-hmm. you know and mm-hmm. kind of move on mm-hmm. but yeah I find that so hard to do to know when like have we outgrown each other like I it's mm. so I'm such a <laughs> I'm such a like I hold on for dear life and I'll just do everything. I'll stay in a relate. I will stay in a relationship years past when I, when it probably was over, like when it's like, <laughs> this is so, yeah, this was so done and it's much more healthy to just allow it to naturally kind of dissipate. And I'm like, no, no, what else can I do? Um, so I, I also <laughs> loved, I loved that part. There's something like uniquely heartbreaking about a friendship fallout. Um, and yeah, and, and female friendship, like usually when there's a fallout on, on screen, it's like very catty or competitive, or it has to do with some sort of like a hetero love third party person or something. So yeah, yeah, I found it especially heartbreaking for season one and two so much. And it was so, it was so wonderful and no spoilers. Everyone just watch because it's where you (laughs) ended it. Yeah, was just so lovely as well. How is it directing a piece of writing or a series, anything that is like so close to somebody's real life experience, somebody else's mm-hmm. real life experience? And for listeners and viewers, so like Perry Voss and Heidi Lynch wrote this series pulling from their real lives. And so, yeah, how do you navigate directing someone else's real life? How does it differ from directing like, stories more based in fiction yeah I think on to be honest that was probably the hardest part Mm -hmm. they brought me on both seasons to help story edit so I had the scripts and you know a lot of it's pulling in my vision and um, season one they were kind of newer writers and like really figuring out the structure and stuff so we worked we worked closely in that regard. So I definitely mm. got to know their stories uh, really well. And, you know, they're sharing stuff so that we're, we're trying to workshop it to be able to put it um, into the script and make, make it work. But on set directing, it, it was hard because sometimes, you know, as an objective viewer, as, as the director is, is like, you know, sometimes you just feel like a scene isn't working or something's not working mm. or, you know, a line doesn't work and making those suggestions is hard when somebody's like, well, this is my lived experience, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I'm not really thinking about, is this true or not? I'm thinking, does this, does this work for the scene um, and the story? So mm-hmm. there was navigating that, you know, we had very honest conversations and I was like, okay, great. And can we do an, an alternate or, you know, and, and sometimes they were very open to that. And then sometimes very firm on what they would, you know, they're the showrunners as well. So mm-hmm. I learned a ton from that where sometimes it wasn't always my, I didn't always have final say, but they trusted me in the end, especially after season one, I think, you know, I mm-hmm. earned their trust. And some of those stories, those stories for them were so personal. And so um, like their hearts were attached to it. So it was hard to let go of, you know? Mm. And then I think after season one, they, they saw kind of what I was able 
able to do in shaping the story and season two, they, they really were like open to my vision, you know, Mm. and it wasn't me trying to take anything away from them. I had full respect and awareness of their story and how to figure out how to um, bring it into a cohesive story with three different leads and all that. Like, (laughs) that's what I'm thinking about, you know? Of course. Um, Yeah. And I think it's so important. Honestly, I think like often either out of necessity or out of like desire, often people who are writing something from their real life then end up directing it which can make sense Mm -hmm. it's like well who knows their story better than them but i do think it's so so incredibly valuable to bring in someone you trust to tell that story because they have that outside perspective that even as much as you try like you just you there's no way for you to have it you just can't Mm -hmm. it's it's too close to your heart so having somebody who can guide you through that and say listen like this is a wonderful take on this line or this scene or this pivot or whatever but it's just not reading so how do we accomplish what you want but in a way that translates Mm -hmm. is so so valuable to to have so yeah what what did you like going into season two what were some of the things that you were wanting to or the team in general like wanting to um evolve or maybe do differently from season one now that you would like had this like template that you saw okay that was successful loved that going in what were some things that you wanted to do like differently or push further or or any of those yeah I mean for us it was like the whole team just wanted to level up it was like Mm -hmm. we had learned from we were all kind of it felt like we were babies in season one and (laughs) you know we had the pandemic happen in between and like time time I think it was like a year and a half or something had passed Mm. and so we all just went in and was like, how can we make this the best with where we're at now? So, you know, like the opening graphics that's working with Kiki, our production designer and like our graphic designer and just all of those things. It was like all these little, little ways that we wanted to elevate it, but also, you know, enhance the story ultimately. Mm-hmm. And for us, it was like, let's make it look like a TV show. We know it's a digital series. Um but this is the world, you know, it's like the world we want to be playing in is TV. So let's take this opportunity. We have this money. So, you know, it's, we stretched that budget to make it look like a million dollars when it, <laughs> when it really was, you know, pennies in the world of television. But yeah. that was our team just like all wanting to put our best foot forward. And the cinematographer, you know, had grown a lot in terms of like lighting styles and his and I like, Uh, bond and collaboration and understanding of each other grew as well so it was like Mm. he he knew my references we knew we knew what each other had in mind and stuff so we were able to kind of work a little more symbiotically I think Mm -hmm. um going towards the same thing but I think you know the the show just drastically changed like the world's changed like kind of at the retreat with Elle and Molly, you know, trying to overcompensate with her look, like mm. they were flipped characters pretty much in season one. So mm. that I think excited everybody to be like, oh, we're playing in a new playground and let's take this and and play really, you know? Yeah, yeah I think the excited about the play, the sense of play. Yeah, well, I, I mean, 
from like you accomplished all of those things. It absolutely <laughs> looked like a TV show. It the opening graphics alone, every every single episode I would turn to friend Susan, who's getting lots of airtime today, friend Susan. And just, like those alone deserve an award in themselves. They were so gorgeous. All of it was so yeah, it was so wonderful. Actually, something that that was explored in both seasons I found was like boundaries or the lack mm. or the lack of boundaries, like talking about even in the trailer for season two, um, kind of saying like, oh, there is no more Molly and Elle and it being like, well, that's codependence for you. Like that kind of codependent friendships or boundaries mm -hmm. with parents, like how much are they allowed in or who do we look to 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 tell us what our identity is and who gets to tell us to change, like all those things. Mm -hmm. How is it as a director, I imagine you have to set a lot of clear boundaries of like what you want to execute and and what you're asking of your actors and crew and like who gets how much of a say in decision making so how is it navigating like boundary setting as a director yeah I don't know if I fully thought I definitely have boundaries for sure and mm. I think um you know boundaries came into play a lot definitely in the story but also in the interpersonal relationships with mm. um like some of the crew and team members and stuff I'm I'm like such an easygoing person mm. like I'm I'm I, an easygoing I'm like very calm and I'm kind of like oh, okay like I don't I don't I don't know if I have like a lot of boundaries but I I, I don't know I just never have thought about it. it it was it was a word used a lot for a lot of different okay. people yeah oh, okay um, but it <laughs> yeah. wasn't it wasn't one of my words that I brought up very often or like mm -hmm. thought too much about, but, you know, really respect, like not working on weekends. Like the thing that mm -hmm. we do is like overwork and overburn ourselves. And I think we learned that from season one. So people were really clear on like, don't just don't even email on weekends because we mm -hmm. know we're all going to look at it. So really kind of respecting that from people and I don't know. It would probably be funny. Uh, people's like interpretation of me is also like interesting. What do you often get? Yeah. Like, what do you like? What do you often get from people when they're like you said, maybe they're they're um, they're articulating what your aesthetic is as a director or like even just working with you? Like, what do you typically get as feedback that people say how you are? Um, I can be I'm very in my head mm, okay. um, and I I really think about what I'm going to say before I say it. Like I'm mm. not an off the cuff. I'm not, I don't talk very fast. I don't, you know, throw a million ideas out. And I'm really quite methodical, which can come across as uh, despondent. I think sometimes <laughs> just because I'm like, so in my head um, about things and I'm like thinking and people have said, they're like, I know it's your thinking face, but they're like, and are you going to, uh, <laughs> Because, you know, it's a million things going on at once and they're like, mm -hmm. we need to make, and I make, I make decisions very quickly, but I, I always think about something, mm -hmm. you know, I always think about because I'm analyzing, does this work for this storyline? Can we cut this? Da, 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 da. Like I'm editing in my head. I'm making, you know, you're just doing a, a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and I, yeah, I'm just processing. So I've heard that before where they're like, always that, that pregnant pause with Sam before <laughs> an answer. Cause she's thinking. <laughs> Yeah, I, I got told the one thing that I died laughing on is that I have many greats. So I say great a lot. Um, and 
it's you know if if there's a performance and actors can read right through it but if a performance I'm like great uh okay um great so you know again that's like how I'm thinking of what how yeah. to say this note and then other times I'm like great okay we can move on and they're like um, oh that means great okay good 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 yeah. good yeah yeah or yeah. there's like you know when everything's taking too long on set I'm like great are we ready like there's just like somebody did the one it was he was like the gaffer and he did like 20 different of my grades and I was like oh my God. Oh, that's amazing. It reminds yeah. me of like when when a when a baby is crying, like which cry means what thing? Mm-hmm. Like what do they mm-hmm. mean? Or just yeah, or even just like looks. If somebody is a bit more silent and they have different kind of like eye, like okay, if they look to the left, it's cut yes. eye. If they look to the right, they're just thinking. If they look up, exactly. yeah, yeah. That's amazing. I just need a little um a little like uh translation dictionary, you know? Exactly. For all the different crates. Yeah. It is always interesting, like kind of learning how people are observing you or taking you like I find I get a lot of that as an actor a lot from strangers like people and I you know you take it with a grain of salt but it's interesting sometimes whether it's like character breakdowns you get or the auditions you're getting or the feedback you get I'm all I always kind of take it in as information like oh I wonder how I came across that way. Most of the mm-hmm. time it's all their stuff. It really has like hardly anything to do with me, but I just, mm-hmm. I, I also love hearing it. I also just love like taking a personality test on Buzzfeed or whatever, <laughs> any kind of like, tell me what you think and who you think I am is very interesting to me. So oh. I don't know if you feel similarly, but sometimes when I hear that somebody thinks something about me that's positive or that I, that I think is desirable, then I feel like, oh crap, now I have to keep that up. If they say, oh, you're so Mm. funny. I think, oh crap, now I have to always be funny with them. Like, oh, like, oh, you're so nice. I think, oh, what if I'm not nice in one moment with them? That's like something to live up to for them. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have that as much. I sometimes, I don't, I don't always like what I hear. Mm. Oh God, am I like that? It's, you know, it just feeds (laughs) into the insecurities of like, I wish I was a fast talker, Mm. Um, you know, and I have to try to be like, no, being, you know, with my mind, I'm a really great listener. So that Mm. kind of stuff, you know, trying to pull the positive aspects out of the the things that I hear that are negative, even though they're just saying how I am, you know. Mm. And just how you are to them. Like, it's funny because mm-hmm. even when you said, I'm not a fast talker, like I, and I thought, oh crap, I wish I was less of a fast talker and I did more what oh, she was saying. And then you were like, I wish I was a fast talker. We're all just walking around, you know? Yeah. We're all just exactly. doing those things. And well, and I know I, I was reading, um, this was press for Hazy Little Thing, your film, Hazy Little Thing mm-hmm. in Vents Magazine. And you were chatting about like your struggle with with social media and kind of like allowing that to inspire the writing of it a bit, but kind of just tying into what we're saying here of like kind of comparing yourself to other artists online or like seeing their accomplishments and then kind of comparing and feeling crappy about it. And I have such a confusing relationship with social media, especially in our industry, because it feels like, I don't want to say it is because it might just be this like myth that we're all being fed like we're all being brainwashed i don't know but it feels (laughs) like it is integral to our industry in terms of sharing projects we have going on or promoting a project Mm -hmm. or finding other artists connecting it might have been how i found out about you who knows like you know and so it feels it can it can be such a positive and such a necessity and then also it can feel absolutely horrible and you can compare yourself and you will always feel 
shittier than somebody on Instagram or on TikTok or mm -hmm. whatever. So I know that was a little while ago. How, what's your relationship like with social media now? How, how are you navigating it for yourself now? I would love to know. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, you know, it's an ongoing thing. I think, you know, I really tried to, especially after that film, it made me so conscious of social media and how it affects our moods and stuff. And again, that was, you know, my first feature at the beginning. Uh, I probably feel better about it now. I always try to find things that aren't working for me and being like, okay, how can I make this work for me? You know? And like, I don't want to have such a negative response to it. And like, even during that time, I was like qu quitting social media, you know, mm. I would like go off of it for months and try, try to, and then <laughs> start it up again. And, but it is that kind of push and pull because you do need it. I just like, it's only if I have anything coming out I'm like, where else am I going to promote it? Like it's yeah. kind of only social media. And then, you know, my mom, um, <laughs> which is great, but you know. we'll tell everybody, but yeah, yeah. yeah, now I just feel, you know, I really don't, I took all like personal stuff. So on my social media, I just post photo, like I'm a photographer as well. So mm. I just post photos that I've taken and of people that I enjoy being with. And I very rarely, I, I stopped using it as like a personal barometer mm. where I needed, you know, validation over me personally. Um, and I was like, I'm just going to use this for my career. And like, I wasn't engaging it in, in, a, in a personal way, I mm. think, you know, and that really changed it for me. And I know that that's not for everybody. Like sometimes I look at, I'm like, Oh wow, gosh, they have so many photos of just themselves. Like mm. it's kind of what social media is. And I, I don't, and I like, don't love photos of myself. So I'm like, why do I feel the need to post them? You know? Mm. So I just really tried to take it out of that and was like, I love art. And so I'm just going to post art and, mm connect with people that way and then you know I think a big part of it's like looking at what your algorithm is mm. like mine is uh, like crazy artists that I admire and like am so fond of and so if you go to my search page it's like beautiful photographers or cinematographers or creators like I, I used it in a way of like connecting to people and so I don't go on there and see you know body shaming ads I don't go on there and see fitness anything so I don't click on it you know mm -hmm. like again it's that idea of making it work for you and it's like a super positive creative space for me like I'm speaking mostly Instagram mm -hmm. but yeah so I think I don't know that's kind of how I feel I also like to 100% I think I feel better with where I'm at in my mm -hmm. career so a lot of that feeling was you know when you're not doing well that stuff just fuels, you know, jealousy and mm. shame with where you're at and not embracing, like, I really try to just embrace other people's successes. Mm. And I think not look at myself of being like, oh, I should have that. It's being like, I'm so glad they got that, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and like trusting in my journey and my choices for getting me to where I want to go. Mm -hmm. So it's, it has, again, like such a deep philosophical answer because it, it is so nuanced and it's so ingrained mm -hmm. in, into our, um, you know, mental health and our happiness and stuff. So, uh, but, you know, my partner would say I'm, I'm on it too often, but <laughs> so there's still all that there. 
I think there's a necessity for it to like inspire a philosophical answer. It, it mm -hmm. like if we even go on our phones and look at how many hours a day in total we end up on some of those apps, like or how how they're able to make us feel like how many times you are feeling great or you're just feeling neutral and you look on there and you come off and you feel mm -hmm. horrible or how mm -hmm. many times you have something that you feel proud of whether it's personal professional whatever and you share it and you get a bunch of likes and comments and how that instantly makes you feel happier like that it, it it can it changes physiologically how my body is responding it has so much yep. power so i i love exactly. what you said about making it work for yourself anytime i get any fitness ads at this point because i'm like no no no, i am that that is having a negative relationship with my body because and and seeing my body only in the way that other people see it is something i am trying i have been trying to undo for years this i don't mm -hmm. want this mm -hmm. i never consented to have these ideas in my head thank you very much yeah so anytime I see an ad about like fitness, it could honestly be, sometimes it's even about nutrition, but I'm like, mm, this feels fat phobic or like this does mm -hmm. not, I just report and say, I find this offensive right away. I'm like, algorithm, I need you to learn that this is not for me. Like these what are I not, want, yeah. yeah. And it's become now that Instagram, I think is like so much more ad heavy because it used to really yeah. feel like just people's photo albums. That's all mm -hmm. it was. It was mm -hmm. sharing a Facebook photo album, but it was a little bit easier to see the photos like, yeah. you know, and, and it is kind of pivoting, but as it, as it changes and becomes whatever it's going to be, you really do have to like, make sure that you are holding more power over, like not allowing yeah. it to hold more power over you. So I, yeah. I am totally with you on that. I think it's it's yeah. scary. And I haven't quite figured it out. I feel like I ping pong. I'll, I'll be like, here's a picture of a totally personal picture of me and my dog on her birthday. And then the next one is like a project I'm promoting. And I haven't quite found that. Yeah, I haven't quite found what how to use it so that it's really making it. It feels like it's benefiting me and I actually really enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. 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 And, you know, and my process is so different for anybody else. Like, I'm not saying that this is the way to do it mm -hmm. either. And it's like, it's just figuring out what you feel comfortable. I always felt pressure to post, you know, I yeah. think that was the bigger thing of like, what do I, and then I'm in my house looking around and like, there's, not, <laughs> there's nothing here. Like, yeah. I don't want to post anything. What do I? Yeah. So I just took, I removed that because I was like, that's not me. And I don't mm -hmm. really care about that kind of side, side mm -hmm. of things. So, mm -hmm. you know. I think before COVID, I had so much more natural, just like fun and joy and posting and sharing. And it felt like a connective thing. And then I just, right. I don't know what it was, but I mean, I'm sure it was a bunch of a million various little things, but <laughs> I started just feeling, I don't want to post. I want to sit mm -hmm. and be sad today. Like, I don't want to mm -hmm. post. And I also don't want to post that I'm sad. Like, I don't need, I'm not trying to curate. I just don't want to. And then I kind of just came to a place of like, I am not going to strategically post. I'm going to post when I want to, what yeah. I want to. And if it's not fun, I'm not, like, I'm just not going to do it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I'm like a rebellious teenager. I, it's probably <laughs> not where I'm going to land as like my adult self. Right now, I'm just like, I'm going to do what I want when I want. And that's it. Like, it's not really where I'm landing authentically, but we'll get there. We're going to get there. Um, okay. So I am a huge fan of reality TV like such a big fan. And uh, you directed Dating Unlocked, a queer reality dating show. Are you a fan of reality TV? Had you watched a lot of reality TV beforehand? 
<laughs> Am I push? No. Is this like asking if you like podcasts? I'm realizing is this the same oh, yeah. as asking no, no, no. if you like podcasts? <laughs> no, no. I just okay. I just feel bad that I directed a reality show, and you know I think that that's probably why I wanted to do it. I don't watch a lot of reality, so mm. yeah. So I I wanted you know why I wanted to do it was to show real people mm-hmm. and not be formulaic in a way and not follow like the tropes and like the dating shows that I. I ended up watching a ton of dating shows as research. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they were and... all horrible, I'm sure. They're so bad. <laughs> yeah. They're so bad. Yeah. What was the one um, that I really liked? It was the queer episode of Are You the One? Oh. Yeah. It was like season eight yes. um, that I ended up watching. And I was like, fuck yeah, this is amazing. And just mm-hmm. like seeing all the different personalities. And yeah, so I got excited about that. And I just, you know, again, it's, it, you know, what am I attracted to in stories? It's like, what are we saying? And what what are we doing slightly different? I'm not, I, I, I'm not somebody who's constantly trying to reinvent the wheel. Mm. It's just like, what kind of spin are we putting on this that, that gives it a little fresh take and mm-hmm. makes it authentic, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so that was that for me, like, and, and, and it was like enjoyable process. It was like being at, gay camp we used to call it like Ah. it was two months shooting this show and just like amazing humans and I got connected to these like massive group of just the queer community and you know organizers and facilitators and like just really awesome humans out there Mm. so it was a it was a lot of fun and yeah I was just like but I don't I'm not gonna continue Mm-hmm. reality I think was mm-hmm. was the takeaway I just I love curating stories and I like being like no this shot you know which is really hard to do <laughs> which is hard to do in reality yeah. that's what I was yeah. gonna ask like what what was like what was something that kind of surprised you or like what was something that was really different about directing reality versus scripted but I guess that's a huge one for sure yeah it was like you know I <sighs> getting people to do it again or anything like that I I also like have heard all those stories of you know reality shows that it's all pretty much written and it's producers Mm. like probing people and creating drama and I really was like I'm gonna be hands-off and I'm gonna let things like play out and it's gonna be awkward and it's like I'm not (laughs) doing you know do another take and say it like this it was really letting them be the guides of the show Mm. but you know and and that was a learning curve because my producer's like you know get in there and tell them not even to be prescriptive by any means but it was like their arms in the way of the shot right. and I was like <laughs> yeah just oh, like no. them being human beings yeah. in the world instead of yeah yeah totally yeah. yeah yeah you're like we can't see your face at all at all yeah yeah <laughs> exactly and I was like no no we can't tell them that and I was like so I I ended up being probably not the best person for that that in that regard but Mm. I think you know what we were really trying to do is cultivate the idea of consent on Mm -hmm. um, dating shows was really important to us and I really wanted to explore intimacy I think Mm. you know you can tell by the way that I talk about like I just love I love sex and I love the idea that like it's why are we so ashamed of this we should be Mm -hmm. openly talking about it and you know I wanted that was a big drive of the show was like, let's, let's watch people be intimate in whatever way they wanted to, like they had control over it, but in, in, um, it didn't need to result to sex and it didn't need to, mm-hmm. you know, be fueled by alcohol or anything. And it was like, 
yeah, it was, it was definitely an experiment. Um, and it's hard because it's, you have cameras on you and you're not truly intimate. And I think I had ideas for what it could be. Um, and I thought, I think we got glimpses of it for sure. Mm. Um, and everybody was so amazing to be that open and vulnerable and honest and to Mm. go along that ride for us. But you know, the host also works in that world. Yes. I'm such a fan of them. Like, I don't know them at all. It's an Instagram fan. I'm such a fan of them. Yeah. No, they're incredible. I had seen them again through Instagram and that's how we cast them as we Mm. reached out. And I was just like, they're so perfect for it. And I, you know, we got so many tapes, like 70 tapes for the host. And it was all that, welcome to dating on thought like that. And I was like, no, I want a real human. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Somebody who can connect with other people. And Yaz Mm -hmm. is so amazing at making everybody feel comfortable. I think everybody fell in love with Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Just well, that being was there the problem of the day. So authentic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They weren't paying attention to the contestants anymore. They were just <laughs> all going for yes. <laughs> exactly. It helped that they, they were styled incredibly. Like yeah. we also wanted to make this, you know, our stylist was phenomenal on the show. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, so it was a really, really cool experience. Um mm-hmm. and they're, you know, we're going for a season two, so I would love mm-hmm. to do it again with, again, you know, it's that idea of like building off of something and seeing what worked and what didn't work. And mm-hmm. more is in exploration. Like, I, I don't think I'll ever go and be like, that was amazing. Do that again. It's like, oh, let's tweak things here and there. How can we make this better? Yeah. In both cases, for the reality show and for Avocado Toast, you had kind of mentioned how like going into season two, now you have the rapport with like the DP or with the team and having everybody kind of has that like shorthand with each other. And it makes me think like, oh, there's, what's the way to sort of shortcut to being able to get there on a first season or the first time you're on a set? It's so, it's so hard. I mean, it really makes sense why people work. If they find somebody they really love working with, they repeat working with them over Mm -hmm. and over again, because it just, it gets you so much quicker to being efficient and, and being able to kind of execute what you want to execute it's hard to do that on a first shot 100 percent. yeah i i always recommend it's like you know again find your people you watch it like all the the you know great filmmakers and stuff but like judd apatow works with the same actors works with mm-hmm. some creatives like you know you know what they're going to put out and you know that they get your mind and i think mm-hmm. it's you know uh, so much of this industry it's not really like a visual artist where you just get to create the thing that's in your mind like you Mm -hmm. get to physically produce that um filmmaking you need so many people and you need you know to work in that collaboration so if somebody's missing the mark and not getting it and I you know I've worked with them and it's like oh gosh it's like it's a a clunky car trying to move forward and you're like no that's not quite right and then you have to have those difficult conversations and so yeah it's you know keep those people close and I love meeting new creatives like I'm constantly Mm. in search of of so it's not to say that I'm like stuck to people but Mm. you you always it's been such a massive lesson of like going into projects knowing that you're on the same page with people because what we do is is difficult it's not easy you're working really long hours people's fuses are short sometimes and like you I always try to operate from kindness and I ask that most people do that who work with me um but you know you work with people with who will flip out over tiny things or big things or whatever and it's just and who are mean to people and it's just not how 
you know, it's not, it's not worth what we do. Like Mm -hmm. we're not saving lives. So we don't need to (laughs) feel like we're killing people while doing it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Plus the hours are too long. The Mm -hmm. the jobs are too intimate. Like you're too close to people. It's for too many days. It's just like, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't, it's, it's intolerable when it's like just treating with <laughs> it is with yeah. not coming out with kindness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, we got to have at least that, or we're not going to survive the 12 hours that we're together right now for a year or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I would love to ask you some rapid fire questions. I call them rapid fire. There is, <laughs> I know, I know. And that was my trip. Like I was trepidatious coming in. It is not rapid fire, Sam. It's literally just, here are some potentially more simple questions that I just thought of that don't in sequence, belong yeah. in a theme. Yep, yeah. they're in a, doesn't matter the seat. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Number one, do you like the taste of avocado toast? Do you eat avocado toast? I do like the taste, yeah. Mm-hmm. I was like, I have a longer answer and I'm like, are these rapid fire? Oh, Does it need to be are, one answer? Listen, so. No, because I also, re- sometimes I'm like rapid fire. So what's your biggest fear about your mother? Which I would never <laughs> ask somebody just like off the cuff, but I set people up with like, there's no way to answer this um, quickly. No, please. I yeah. love a long answer. Please. No, I just like a little spice on it. It's got to be spicy. Mm. And I think that kicks kicks the flavor a little like a chili flake. Um, but <gasps> mm. it's not my go-to on a, a menu. That's for sure. Yeah. I like a sriracha drizzle, even though it's like, mm. do I need to be adding more like squishy texture? Right. Yeah. Love it though. Love it. I, I don't know why, but I had thought like, oh, you know, all these creators of a... You, you create a show and you don't really know where it's going to go. And now I'm like, oh, all of you have two seasons of something called avocado toast. Are you offered it often? Are you, you know, all the things. I hope you don't hate it. Um, okay, great. So little chili flakes on it. Bring some over. Um, who's an actor that you would love to direct? I mean, there's just the greats that would mm-hmm. be intimidating. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think my mind goes to like Kate Blanchett. Um <sighs> But I love, like, Adam Driver would be interesting. Oh, he's one of my, like, would love to act, like, dream would love to act in a scene with. Yeah. Yes. And Donald Glover, but that's also an intimidating one, you know? Mm. Like, I love playful people, I think, Mm. where you get to, it's a collaboration of, you know, I have my ideas and you have your ideas and let's, let's see where it evolves to. Yeah. Like they bring, they bring their take on it, but they're also willing to collaborate with your take. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Oh, I love that. If you were going to act again, who would be a director that you'd want to act for? This can also be like a local director that you know, or an actor you think would be great to direct, but is there a director that you would love to be directed by? You know, unfortunately he just passed away, but Jean-Marc Vallée is my favorite director and I would have mm. loved to work with him mm. um and just yeah just I think he 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 really operates from heart and realness and else. I mean P.T. Anderson I think who would Paul Thomas Anderson would be amazing I've heard he shoots like tons of stuff and then I've known people who've been in his movies and then you know they're in three seconds of it but they shot for two weeks so that would just be fun to like wow. play on his set and be like yeah. shoot for sure yeah yeah do you err on the side of being like okay we're gonna do like tons and tons of takes and you can do whatever we're gonna try all the things or are you like 
listen, we're going to do a few takes. We're going to do it that way. <laughs> okay. So I have only made things under really tight, extreme budgets. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, to like make one take. Yeah, any yeah. of my days, <laughs> we, yeah. we need, yeah. I mean, you know, we did a one one time and we did it in 18 takes, but that was like a lot of, that was season one. There's a lot of moving parts. There was a lot of, mm. there's like 13 actors in that scene and it was a dream sequence wow. and all of that stuff. So that was like the longest probably I've spent on a scene um, or been allowed to. I would spend, there's sometimes I'm like, I could keep going because we're not getting it. But like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> if I'm going to keep my job and uh, make a show, we have to move on at this point. So uh, that scene in the first season that you're talking about, the the oneer, and for listeners and viewers, that's where you just like, it's all one take. You don't stop the camera. That was like a full musical production like i was <laughs> floored i re i do people say rewound it anymore i don't but i re or rewound replayed. rewinded it replayed yeah. thank you i'm like oh i oh replayed thank you that was such a gift okay great because i've said rewound a couple times i've been like oh god okay i when i first saw that episode as soon as that scene ended i just immediately replayed it i could not believe that you all did that in one like <laughs> there was so many moving parts in that. The fact that you got that on take 18, I'm like, you need more of that. Like you would need more <laughs> takes to do that. Okay. And uh, if you were to get another tattoo, what would be your next one? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm like really into um, like small stick and poke. So like creating your own mm. ones. Um, but I just got one this summer. So I was like, not. I don't know. I, you know what? There. Okay. So there's one that I was like obsessed with for a while, and it's just called or just touch, like the word touch. Mostly, I did this like photo um, piece. Uh, what do you call it? Thing um, about touch that we lost touch, like during COVID. It was during mm -hmm. that time, and this idea of like taking away hands and things. So I probably get like this, this like hands touching or something. Um, oh, I love because it was kind of this precious I mean it's just you know we we lost so much during that time and mm -hmm. made me think about a lot of things but that was one of it even just with filming like you think back to times actually you I was thinking about this today because I was reading an article that like an interview that you were in I'm like why was I th why was I thinking about this today where <laughs> you were talking about season one versus season two of avocado toast and where you think back to season one about being like cramped in a small space with a bunch of people filming and how and all of us I mean that's just what you did and now thinking it's just it, it's so different now how I would view that same situation if it was if it was you know I was filming tomorrow and you're cramped in a small space and you're just yeah. so aware of it or, or honestly even just with one I last week I was filming with somebody and I I didn't know them and I was just aware like I am it was just me and him and I thought, oh, like, this is a stranger. I don't know him. And we are for 12 hours, you know, whatever, two days, we are very close to each other. We are affecting each other's lives in a huge way mm -hmm. that I, in a way that I didn't really ever think about before. Yeah. Change filmmaking for sure. Yeah. I don't have a tattoo and I've always wanted one. And I just oh, can't wow. decide on, I can't commit to one. And I think I'm just, I think I'm putting way too much pressure on it of like it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've gotten most of mine like on travel things mm. or like, you know, when I quit acting, I got a thing on my back and, you know, they were always, 
they always, I guess they always have a story, I suppose. But yeah, I think everybody's always worried you're going to hate it. And I, I get annoyed. I'm like, oh, why do I have this thing? I don't hate any of mine, <laughs> but I have like tons of tattoos now. And they just, they become a part of you. Yeah. It's like a little history. Yeah. I love, I, I, yeah, I love that. Yeah. The, the just beautiful like narrative of it all. So, mm-hmm. okay. Well, my, my last rapid fire for you is for people out there considering getting bangs how do you keep your bangs looking so good because sam you kill a bang and i don't know how you do it i for people who are listening and not watching i don't have a bang i i accidentally got bangs i was on a set and they want they asked if they could just trim a little bit and i thought i was going to get some side bangs like maybe down to like my cheeks and they did a full straight across bang and i was like i can't maintain this so what is your secret to your damn amazing bangs sam my banging bangs banging bangs how are you doing the banging bangs i learned to cut my own hair you cut those bangs yeah i did a a cut recently (gasps) oh it was it's the blonde broke girl days from my like early 20s that i just like i used to dye my own hair and cut my own hair and i learned to do it all and then yeah so i just I, i cut them i don't know it's all about kind of finding what fits your face. I sometimes have too, Mm. too, too crowded in the front and, you know, these, these ones are in, so they're, you can pull them off. They're like the wispy kind of. Like the beautiful curtain. They're also like, they're perfectly going where you want them to be. Well, where, I don't know, I'm not going to tell you, but where like on a picture, I'm like, yep, that's exactly where they should go. She needs no touch-ups. Like they're, they're perfectly curtaining and wisping back. Mine would be sticking everywhere or one would be getting in my face. Like I went to my hairdresser. I said, I want curtain bangs. And she, my hair's, I know I have it in like a tight bun right now, but it's very straight naturally. I have to like force it to have something in it, have some kind of movement. And she said, no, very sweetly. She just said like, it's just going to be like two sticks by your face. Like it's just going to be like a pencil is on the side of your face, basically. And I said, no, please. And I've gone to her for a while. I said, please, you can style it. And she's like, no, you're going to hate me. I'm not doing it. You're going to hate me. Like you're going to, I'm going to style it. And then tomorrow you're going to have pencils and you're going to text me and be so annoyed. So I never got them. And look at these. These I mean, there's, there's ways of doing it for sure. I I have like volume in my hair I think you know like I've got kind of curly hair I do have to iron them or like straighten them because they would be like curly and messy so that's probably part of it but I have a friend who has very straight hair and she did bangs for a long time too so there's ways maybe you connect me with her and I'm gonna ask her all of the Erin Carter she's in hazy Oh, I'm such a fan of Aaron Carter. Another person that have not, I've not just from afar for many years. Oh, but such a fan. She's an incredible person. She's up to really cool stuff. Oh, and she's hilarious. Hi, Aaron Carter. If you hear this (laughs) and you're open to being friends or reaching out or something. Don't right. stop. I, she's I'm gonna die if she hears. I'm so. My hands are so sweaty. I'm actually so glad that this isn't in person right now because like I, I wouldn't call her right now because. Oh my god! Hi, Aaron. Would I would this. love it. Oh my god! I'm such a, such a fan from afar of both of you. Um. Okay. <laughs> Clearly now I'm so sweaty. Uh, my hands are so sweaty. So um, I'm I have a hard time like putting out there what I want. Like if I mm-hmm. think, oh, you know, I would love to pivot more to writing, or I'd love to act in these kind of spaces, or I would love to meet Sam and Aaron. Um, I just don't. <laughs> I basically just think it in my head and hope that like the law of attraction, everything will work out. People can't read your mind. So I'm trying to put out there 
like, hi, Aaron, uh, message me. I'm trying to put out there, <laughs> I'm trying to put that out there a little bit more. So for you, if someone is listening who could potentially give you what you are looking for or wanting more of, what's something that you'd want to put out into the universe? It can be professional or personal um, that you're kind mm. of like something that you're maybe wanting that you wouldn't mind saying it loud on a podcast. <laughs> Hmm. I mean, career is obviously easy and where I go. Mm -hmm. um, I'm trying to get into Canadian television. So mm -hmm. I've been working. I just got an agent and just taking meetings and stuff. But I'm trying to, you know, get my first directing television um, under my belt. So that's a big one. Trying to get a show made. I have um, a show in development with Jay Stevens and we're trying to get that made. So we're pitching it around. But if anybody's looking to make um, a young adult, queer, uh, fantastical realism show, reach out. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, all my all my passion projects with my features, I'm trying to get off the ground. So that's great. That's wonderful. Well, Sam, I just wanted to thank you so much for doing this today with me. I was so looking forward to it. And I'm so glad that um, years later, I finally actually I didn't even reach out. It's like Susan reached out for me. <laughs> um, so I'm so glad that Susan um, introduced us and that you were able to come on the show because, yeah, I'm a big fan. And um, and one day I'll put out I would love to work with you as well. So I'll be reaching out with you just ideas. did. So that's yeah. great. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> yeah. No, thank you so much. It was so nice to chat with you. This was oh. so fun. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Liquid Courage podcast. If you like what you heard and you're looking to support the show, here's a few ways you can help. You can leave the show a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Or you can follow the show on Instagram and TikTok at Liquid Courage Podcast. Or, and best of all, you can tell a friend about the show. Tell a family member, tell a coworker, post about your favorite episode online. Spread the word. That really is the best way to help support the show and help it grow. <laughs> Did I just rhyme? Okay, until the next episode. Cheers. <laughs>